Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Good morning, church. John was talking about the the game, you know, the ram versus the tiger. So this is the year of the tiger, according to Lunar New Year. So I think the winner is obvious. So, um, but regardless, you know, God is the king. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again. Lord, we thank you that we can, as the your church, we can gather here and fellowship together. God, that we have freedom. Lord, I just think about our brothers and sisters around the world who don't have that privilege. Rejected, persecuted for their faith. And a lot of times by their own family and their own community. So we pray for them. We pray that you will strengthen them. Pray that you will use them to be your witnesses to their neighbors, their friends, their family members. And Lord, pray for us today as we kind of look into this passage that you would work in our hearts and that your name will be glorified. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we continue the series of a servant king, um, you know, we kind of, you know, come into this chapter um, where we see something kind of interesting happening. Uh, for the first time, uh, Jesus is experiencing this kind of idea of the persecution or the rejection. You know, I think about, you know, nowadays the Olympics, you know, my wife and I are watching Olympics right now. And so just imagine this picture, you know, you go to Olympics, you, won, you win the gold medal, you know, you're the champion, and uh, you come home and the people tell you, ah, I don't think you want it. Uh, or maybe they say, oh, you know, we, you know, skeptical about you winning. Or imagine, you know, if, you know, if you're a Muslim, you know, that decides, you know, God opens your heart and you decide, I want to follow Jesus. And you come home to your family excited, you know, that you found this new hope. And your family says, no. You just shamed our family, you shamed our community, and you reject it. Um, it's hard. But I think that's what we see here in, this, in the story of Christ um, as he comes to his hometown, um, to his people. So let's read uh, Mark 6. Um, we'll read verses 1 through um, 13. So Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's, what's this wisdom that has been given, uh, and these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this a carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sister here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown among his relatives and his home, own home. He could not do miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. 
Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over impure spirits. There were, these were the instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that uh, people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. This is the word of God. You know, as we look at the beginning of the passage, you see Jesus coming um, to his hometown. You know, as you know, as the custom was there, he came into the. He went to the synagogue to teach. Uh, you know, with the Jews, and we see this picture that, uh, on one hand, you know, these people are. The text says, you know, they're. They kind of marveled and amazed. You know, this man it has, you know, this great wisdom in the miracles he was performing. But on the other hand, you see this kind of lack of faith and skepticism. And they're saying, isn't he just a carpenter? <laughs> you know, we know his family. We know his mother. We know his brother. Uh, you know, we know, you know, his sisters. We know who this person is. You know, they didn't believe him because they had a really wrong understanding of who Jesus is. They totally missed it. They missed this messianic figure, you know, that Brendan was saying last night, that the light was shining into the darkness. They missed it. And I think a lot of times, um, I think a lot of times we do the two. You know, in our lives, we know people, and perhaps even in your own, we have this wrong understanding of who Christ is. Perhaps you think, you know, Jesus is a great teacher, and he's done a lot of miracles. He had a lot of wisdom. Perhaps, you know, you grew up in a Christian home, and, you know, Christianity is kind of a fun thing. You know, I like the youth group. My parents, you know, seems to me like, you know, they're really godly parents. But this is not really for me. Or perhaps maybe you're, you know, visiting from another country, and you didn't grow up in this kind of Christian environment, and you feel like, you know, I'm attracted to the teaching of Jesus, but, you know, this is another religion. You know, I don't want to change my religion. Um, or perhaps you're like me. You know, I grew up in a Muslim family. And, you know, my view of Jesus was kind of similar to what we see in the text. He's just a prophet. Um, he's the son of Mary. In fact, did you know that in the Quran, the title that's referred to Jesus is Isa ibn Maryam, Jesus, son of Mary. Now, they believe in virgin birth. That's how they refer to him. Just a human being, Jesus, son of Mary. You know, I had to wrestle in my life coming to the, you know, this journey to Christ because I had this wrong understanding of who Christ is. You know, I grew up in a Muslim family. My family is still Muslim. 
My grandmother always taught me that we have to believe in God because, you know, in this life, there's a lot of, you know, difficulties. Only God can help you. But our God was the God of Islam. Our God was the God of Allah. And we never questioned that. And I think until I went to college and started meeting people, and specifically some missionaries who told me about Christ, I didn't think about those things because I always believed in God. But when they started sharing the gospel with me, you know, I came to the point where I was wrestling, who is this Jesus? Is he just a prophet or is he the son of God? You know, one thing that I was told that in the Quran says that God will forgive you any sins except for the sin of idolatry. That you only need to worship God alone. And so, hence, when you think about worshiping Jesus, for Muslims, they think, I'm committing idolatry because I'm worshiping a human being. And that's what I thought. I had to wrestle with the fact, is God going to be merciful with me because I worship Jesus? Am I committing shirk or idolatry? Or, you know, I'm, I'm worshiping this God who became a man um, and died for me. You know, regardless where you are, I think God is inviting you. You know, he's inviting me. He's inviting people. He's inviting my family to worship him and to follow him through Christ. You know, this famous verse in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then in John 17, Jesus says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The eternal life is not just the religion. The eternal life is the relationship with the living God. Now God invites us to believe in him and to know him. Now my understanding of Christianity was, oh, I'm, you know, I don't want to change another religion. I was missing the point. The point was that God was inviting me through Christ into relationship. Took relationship with the living God. And the good news is, the eternal life doesn't start when you die. The eternal life starts right now. As you place your trust and faith in Christ. God wants to know you and have that relationship with you. And, it, you know, he doesn't want you just to live for him. I think he wants you to live with him in that journey. You know, as we go along and we grow, is that we grow together and we have joy of fellowshipping with the living God. That's the invitation. You know, again, Christianity is not a religion. It's the relationship with the living God. I think the second point we see here as we read verse 4. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus was rejected. And I think, you know, it's interesting. Um, 
you know, I had to look it up, the definition of honor. You know, the word, there's a, there's this word that's is used here, honor. And I have, here's the definition I found. Honor is the evaluation of a person's trustworthiness and a social status. Individuals are assigned worth and stature based on their personal or family reputation and the harmony of their action was the expectation of the society at large. And I think a lot of times described by family, genealogy, or old age. You see, here in the text, they were looking at Jesus from their cultural perspective. He's just carpenter. You know, we know his family. He doesn't come from this wealthy, reputable family. You know, he's just a carpenter. You know, they're putting their humanly or cultural norms on him and not giving him honor that he deserved as the Messiah. And I think a lot, a lot of times for us, you know, when we go out and we share with people, I think a lot of times what we face is maybe this, oh, you know, I've heard that. You know, you see that a lot of times, the Christians are hypocrites. You know, one of the hardest things was for me, as I said, you know, when I became a believer and God had to work in my life, um, is to go and talk to my parents about my faith. Um, you know, I, it wasn't easy. Um, I, um, I was scared. I was actually really ashamed. I was like, you know, I, I knew that they're not going to be happy. I knew that my uncles were not going to be happy. But I think the Holy Spirit gave me that strength, gave me that endurance and saying, you know, just honor. You don't get honor from family. You get honor from following Christ. So I have a question to you. How about you? Do you feel rejected because of your faith? Or do you feel mocked or ridiculed for being a follower of Christ? You know, perhaps you're like me and you grew up you know, not at a Christian home and you feel rejection from your family. Or perhaps, you know, you work in the environment that is very kind of anti-Christian and you feel like, you know, it's hard. You know, I always constantly feel like this rejection and mocking. You know, I think I want you to be encouraged that the Bible really in the New Testament talks, about, talks a lot about persecution. You know, one of the verses that really encourages me is, you know, Jesus talks in John 15, 20. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute, also, persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. Jesus was persecuted. So he says, if you want to live and follow me, you will be persecuted. Uh, you know, Paul says that in 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, we see later on in, in, in verse 14, John the Baptist, what happened to him? He was beheaded. He was living for the life, this, you know, of righteousness. And the result was that he was persecuted and ultimately he paid the ultimate you know, you know, his life. I think I wanted to kind of challenge you and encourage you these three things. First of all is, 
is pray for yourself because the reality is, you know, as the Bible, if, you know, if the Bible is true, and it is true, if we want to live the life, the godly life, if we want to follow Christ, we will be persecuted. That's just the fact. But I want to just really encourage you to pray for yourself. Pray that the pers- when the persecution comes, when the mocking comes, that God will give you endurance and strength to face it. That we wouldn't be scared of those things. I wouldn't be ashamed of those things, but we will be gladly accepting it. Pray for yourself. The second thing is today we were reminded in the biblical parenting class is the idea of praying for those who persecute you. In Matthew 5, 44, Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. Forgive them. Sometimes it could be your family, you know, that, you know, that go against you. Are you praying for your family? Are you praying for your coworkers? Are you praying for the government? You know, like I said, you know, we live in a a society that we have freedom. But how long will it last? You know, we have to be ready. Another thing is, you know, I think that's something that my wife and I just have a privilege to do is um, in the ministry we work with a lot of times with Muslim background believers. And the reality is for a lot of those people, you know, they experience rejection, they experience the persecution. And, uh, you know, it's a privilege for us. You know, we had students who stayed with us and lived with us because, you know, their family rejected them. So the question is, how can we pray for those and support those who are persecuted? Because I think the reality is, in your life, God is going to bring people along you who will be persecuted, who will be rejected. And I think for us, as the church, as the family, it's a great opportunity to come along, love on them, and support them, sometimes opening your home. How can you pray for those who are experiencing persecution? Um, I think the reality is, you know, when we face those things, sometimes it's uncomfortable. But I think when you look at from the perspective that the God is inviting us, you know, it becomes a joy and an honor. You know, we're coming along people for paying the price for following Christ. I think it brings you so much joy. It gives you um, this delight of doing God's mission. And so as we transition to the last point where uh, we see Jesus kind of being rejected and, uh, you know, this kind of the idea that the prophet is not honored in his own country, we see that he still sends out the, the disciples. He sends, them, he sends them on the mission. So verse 6, then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two. He gave him authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but an extra shirt, not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. In any place will not welcome you or listen to you. Leave the place, shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. 
And then went out, they went out, preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. You know, it's interesting. You see here, you know, God, Jesus is giving them authority, you know, over demonic power. You, you see that, you know, last Sunday, Brendan preached about how Jesus, you know, healed the, the, the woman who was bleeding. He cast out demons. He even raised Jairus' daughter. And we see some of that kind of authority was given to the disciples. You know, I think about the Great Commission when Jesus talks in Matthew 28, 18. He said, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything commanded you. And surely I am with, with you always to the, end, to the end of the age. All authority, you know, the missions, this world, it's all authority. It's under Christ's authority. And that authority is given to us as we go on a mission. And it's interesting, you see here, that point, when they went to the house, there's some people who rejected them. And I think a lot of times, um, that's what we're going to experience as we go on a mission with God, is there's some people will reject us. Some people will ridicule us. Some people will just not accept that. As much as it's heartbreaking, I think that's the reality. You know, I, you know as I said about my family, um, you know, being Muslim, you know, I've been praying for them for over 20 years. And sometimes, you know, I just wonder, you know, if, if, is God going to save them? You know, but I think the reality is that when I think about this verse is that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Christ, I realize it's really not up to me. Really, it's God. He is sending us, but ultimately, he is the one who is in charge of it. You know, he is the king. So... Last thing I wanted to say, I wanted to give you this practical thing on evangelism. You know, I'm in the ministry, so one of the things we do is evangelism. And we train people how to do evangelism. So um, I think, um, um, so one thing that we've been doing in the ministry recently, this idea of a plant, uh, and it's kind of this evangelism framework. And uh, it really comes from the, the parable of the sower, you know, that as we sow seeds, uh, that, you know, that ultimately the Lord is the one who is the, the king of the harvest. So plant is actually five different letters, and they stand for different things. So number one is P. So as we go out on the missions, we do need to pray. It's important. Why is it important for us to pray for our own love for Jesus to be reinvigorated uh, and for opportunities to share? Because as we go out, you know, we pray for ourselves that God will prepare us. And we pray for others that God will prepare their hearts. One of the, my friends, he's actually Saudi, he's a believer. He taught me this acronym, PUSH. And it says, pray until something happens. <laughs> so keep pushing. <laughs> you know, it, sometimes it might take 20 years for people to come to know the Lord. Sometimes it takes them... You know, a little faster, but keep pushing. 
Pray for the people in your life. Pray for your family who are not believers yet. Second one is listen. How do you feel when someone listens well to you? I think a lot of times if we think about evangelism, it's like sharing. But I think a lot of it is really listening. I think we miss that a lot. Because there's so, many, so much hurt. You know, there's people out there who have, you know, like me, had a really wrong conception of Christianity of who Jesus is. And as we go and we pray for them, I think we're able to also to listen to them and see where, where are the hurts, where are the questions they have so that we can speak into that and we can allow the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. And then in James, there's a famous verse, 1, verse 19. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. <laughs> I think it's really hard. <laughs> Listening is hard because I always want to speak. <laughs> um, I think God calls us to listen. A is articulate. In your own experience, what is the easiest way to articulate the gospel message to you? I think one of the things that, uh, you know, we teach our students is use your testimony. You know, people can argue with your theology, but they cannot argue with what God has done in your life. They can just say, you know, they can argue with your theology. But the things that God has done in your life, those are things that are powerful. You know, remember the blind man. I was blind, but now I see. You know, the lives of the people that Brendan talked about last Sunday. What a testimony to the world. You know, if you look at the, by the way, my wife has a, a pitch and she has a great training on sharing a testimony. So um, if you ever wanted to get a training, but one of the things we tell our students is use the three-minute testimony. You know, three minutes really concise enough and focus on three things, your life before Christ, how you became a believer, and what happened afterwards. And if you were struggling with the depression, and you came to Christ, how did God change that? Don't focus on other things. Just focus on one thing. Just create, come up with a three-minute testimony. It's concise enough, short enough, so that you can share with people when you're ready, when they ask you. Number four. It's, uh, uh, well, it's I here, but we'll say invite, you know, to make it, otherwise it's plate instead of plant. Uh, <laughs> What are the, some examples of appropriate next steps to invite a person to take in them the next spiritual journey? You know, God has invited us in, into his kingdom, and I think that's what we do. As ambassadors for Christ, we invite others. You know, invite your friends to trust Christ. But if they're not ready, invite them to join your community of disciples and believers to be your small group. Invite them to read the Bible for themselves. You know, if they're international, you know, there's Bibles in different languages. There's apps. Another thing, invite them to share their obstacles and pray for God to reveal himself. And what are the things that they're struggling? You know, as we listen to them. And, you know, as we share those things so that God can reveal himself. And number five, is try again. <laughs> cliche. Share the story of someone who came to Christ after hearing the gospel many times. 
the, the reality is, you know, evangelism is the work of the community. And I love the picture here that Jesus sends out by two. He sends out as a community. You know, God has given us the church. Not just to kind of grow and, and build up our faith. God has given us the fellowship so that we can work together in evangelism. And we can all touch the lives of others. I love this verse in 1 Corinthians 3, 5, 7. Paul says, After all, is Apollos, what is Paul, what is Apollos? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters anything, but only God who makes things grow. Think about your life and think about that, you know, your journey to Christ. There are probably a lot of people in your life who, you know, who helped you to come to know the Jesus. You know, in my life, God has used many people to bring me to the point where I am now, following Christ. You know, he's using many people. And the same thing for, you know, for others. You know, he will use many people in, in their lives to bring them to the gospel, bring them to the point of finding hope. And the last thing I wanted to finish this quote, and I think I love it, is by a uh, quote by uh, Dr. Bill Bright. He's the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. He says, successful witnessing is taking the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. I think that a lot of times we think the goal of evangelism is, you know, we need to convert this person. We need, we need to make sure that this person comes to know the Lord. But the reality is our job is to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again. We praise you that you've saved us, that you have invited us to believe in you and to, ha- and to know you personally, God, that Christianity is not just a religion, it's, it's this relationship that we have, the life with you. And it starts right now as we trust as we believe in you. We thank you, Lord, for shining the light in our lives. And ultimately, Lord, that you sending us to the lost world. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name.